Now, as we continue in our series in the book of Philippians, joy in the journey, Paul is now going to remind us of the importance of unity in the church. And he's going to give you and I God's prescription for unity. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27. Philippians 1.27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And we are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Paul starts this teaching on unity in the church in an interesting way. He starts by reminding us of our identity that we are citizens of heaven. Now, a person who is a citizen of a country or a kingdom not only belongs to that country or kingdom, but they get to experience all of the rights, privileges, and protections that come from that country or kingdom. And they start to adopt the culture and the thinking and the ideas of that country or kingdom in which they live. Every single person on this planet has been born into the kingdom of this world in which Satan controls. And so we adopt his culture. We adopt his thinking, his way of doing life, which is we become slaves to sin. And we become stuck in this slave market of sin until that moment by faith when we cry out and ask Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. And in that moment, we go from being slaves in the system of the kingdom of this world to being saints and citizens of heaven. You see, in that moment, everything changes. Our perspective changes. Our focus changes. And you and I are no longer focused on just the earthly things, but we start to focus on the eternal things. Now, when I was born, I was issued this. This is my birth certificate. It is from the Republic of Zambia. You see, when I was born, a government determined that I was now identified as a Zambian, as an African. But because my parents were both British, I also received a second birth certificate. You know you're special when you have more than one birth certificate. This is from the High Commissioner for the United Kingdom. Ooh, doesn't that sound uppity? (laughs) It's kind of the way the British do things. And so I was also identified as being British. But when I met the love of my life, Angel, 
who was an American citizen, I applied for citizenship and went through the fun process here. And then it was determined that I was an American citizen. And so here's how the world identifies me. As a British African American. And you thought your life was complicated. You see, for many, many years, as a kid growing up, living in the Middle East, living in Africa, living in England, coming to the United States when I was 16 to go to college, I never really felt like I fit in. I felt like this wandering gypsy that was always looking for home. Where's home? And I would sometimes ask, God, is my home on this continent? Is it that continent? Is it on this side of the ocean? Is it on that side of the ocean? And then one day as I was reading my Bible, I realized the reason I feel the way that I feel is I'm not home yet. This isn't my home. And you and I can get very, very comfortable in this life. To where we start buying into the belief that, that this is our real home and therefore this is all that we're living for. It says this in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Church, I'm going to tell you, if your kingdom is built on the cornerstone of Christ, then it's unshakable. So can we stop getting in such a political panic today? Because here's the reality. Our kingdom is built on Christ, the cornerstone, and it is absolutely unshakable. You see, I'm not... British. I'm not African. I'm not American. I am a child of God, and the passport that I carry is the crimson blood of Jesus Christ because my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Can I ask you this question? Are you a citizen of heaven, or are you just a citizen of here? Dr. Martin, as he shared so powerfully last week from Psalm 23, reminded us, the Lord is my shepherd. It's not the Lord is a shepherd or the shepherd. It is personal. Has there been a point in your life where you have cried out for Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? Because if there has, then here's your true identity. You are a child of God. Paul starts this passage by reminding us of our identity. And he says this, above all, of premier importance in your life, live as a citizen of heaven. Why does he say, above all, the most important thing in your life is your identity? Here's why. Your identity determines your activity. Whose you are determines who you are which determines what you do. You see, this is what differentiates Christianity from every other religion in the world and even the system of this world. Because every other religion says that activity determines our identity, that we've got to do all these things to be able to come to God. 
And so there's people today, they've got to go to Mecca. They've got to have these certain activities. They've got to pray at certain times of the day. They've got to give a certain amount of money. And all of their activity defines their identity. It's the same thing in the world, right? What does the world say to you and I? It's about our performance. It's about our accomplishments, our accolades. And so many of us today, we're running around and we're making it all about our activity. And the world says that you are somebody because of what you do, that your activity determines your identity, but that's not true as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, what if you and I were to look at several different people that serve in the church? We can pick on pastors because if you didn't know it, Pastor Appreciation Month is over, right? So we can pick on them for a little bit. By the way, if you're struggling to think through for next year, Maybe you're listening online, maybe you're not even a part of our church, and you're thinking, man, what could I get my pastor to show him that I appreciate him, but yet I also, I don't want him to become prideful. So I want to get him a gift that's thoughtful, that says I appreciate you, but I want to keep him humble. This is what I got. It's my favorite gift. World's okayest pastor. That's me. But in all seriousness, Pastor Appreciation Month this year, what I asked you to do was to give to be able to send another pastor and his wife to a ministry called Sunscape to build into them as a couple. And you guys were able to give enough that we were able to do that. And I called a couple at Gordon Berean Church just two days ago, Jason and Amy, and I said, hey, our church want to send you up to Sunscape and we want to pay all the expenses. And they, they're like, well, why would you do that? And I'm like, because we love you. Because we're standing together, because we're, we're a part of one body, the body of Christ. And so thank you for blessing them. Pray for Jason and Amy. This April uh, of 2019, they're going to be going up there. And some of you are like, why wait so long? Because that's how far out they're booked. That's the kind of need of what's going on in our community today when it comes to ministers. You see, if we were to look at a pastor... If we were to look at a worship leader, if we were to look at a greeter or a nursery worker, what do they all have in common? It's their identity, right? Now, is their identity defined by their activity? Is it about their job or is it about Jesus? Because there's some pastors out there that, that your identity is being a pastor. Your identity is you're a citizen of heaven. That's your identity. Pastor is just your position that you get to serve in. And if we're not careful, we'll start to build our identity around being this position in the church. And all of a sudden, we're trying to get to identity through activity. And you know what happens when we do that? It leads to a performance-based life because in order to maintain that identity, you've got to keep working. You've got to keep serving. You've got to keep doing those things because it's that activity that is determining your identity. The other thing that happens to us is we start to position ourselves like the Pharisees over people because all of a sudden we feel like we have this better identity than somebody else. But here's the reality. The pastor is just a servant. Every one of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ today, we have the same identity. It's not your position. It's in the person 
of Jesus Christ. It's not about your job in the church. It is about Jesus. And can I say this as we talk about serving in different places in the church? we got some needs right now in our children's ministry, specifically in the nursery, and that's a really great problem to have. And part of that's because we've got so many kids And at the 8 o'clock service, in fact, at all of them, there's need, but the 8 o'clock specifically and the 11 o'clock. And I want to encourage you, because some of us were looking and are like, well, why don't the parents of these kids show up and serve? They do, but here's the thing. Maybe this is the time where they need a break. Or maybe my age group, we can go serve. Because our kids are teenagers and and, and young adults, and they're, they're already serving in the church, and they're established and maybe we can go serve that, that one service that allows a parent who, who's been working all week with their kids to just come and be filled up by the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you. But church, if we're not careful, we will start to, to define ourselves by our activity instead of our identity. And when that happens, we start to, to, to build the church on, on, on our activity. What we have in common, our careers, our hobbies, our likes. And when we do that, what we form is these cliques. And you don't fit in my clique because you're not in my social status or you're not in the same career or you don't have the same kind of hobbies that I have and we don't really have a church and we're talking about unity and you'll never find a church that's unified as long as it's filled with lots of little cliques. And why do we end up with those cliques? Because we're building our identity on our activity. But church, it's not about your social status. It's about the Savior. And here's the beauty. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your likes. It doesn't matter your career. It doesn't matter about your socioeconomic status. Every one of us is included. Why? Because we're children of God. Because we're building it on our identity, not our activity. That's what our unity has to be built on today. I started a discipleship group with several men, and they didn't know this, but very intentionally I invited several men that had absolutely nothing in common with each other other than Christ. That was the only thing they had in common. These are guys that are different ages. They're guys from different races, guys that have different hobbies, different careers. In fact, if you were to put them into the world, they would never, ever associate with one another. They have absolutely nothing in common except Christ. But do you realize when we have Christ in common, we have everything in common? I have never seen a group of guys bond together like a band of brothers like those guys. Because their bond is not in some hobby. It's in Him. And I'm not saying that we can't get together based on hobbies or different things. But we will never create unity based on activity. It has to be based on identity. When they built the Tower of Babel, they were unified, right? Unified based on what? Activity, a building program. But what happened the moment that God confused their language? The activity ceased and so did the unity. They all went their separate ways. And I've watched a lot of churches over the years try to build their unity on activity. We're getting ready to go out and to feed hungry people in this community, right? And if we're not careful, we'll build our unity on that activity. 
Can I ask you, why are we going out and feeding people in this community? Because we're Christ ones, and Christ ones are called to care. You see, it's based on our identity, not our activity. Because if it's just built on activity, you can have the greatest building program, and everyone's unified, but the moment it's done, what happens to your unity? It doesn't last. You see, here's the beauty about identity. Identity never changes. I get sick tomorrow. I could have cancer. I could lose my ability to talk. I could lose my ability to walk, but I don't lose my identity as a child of God. And therefore, you and I can be unified based on Jesus Christ. Now, we need to be careful that we don't start to believe that there is an activity to be done in the church. Paul makes it real clear here. The passage is filled with a lot of activity. But you need to understand that that activity has to be driven by our identity. And the very first thing that identity determines in our activity is our conduct. Your belief will ultimately drive your behavior. Paul says this, Live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Why does my conduct as a Christian matter? Because the world is watching. Because if I claim to identify myself with Christ, I'm a child of Christ, then shouldn't I live the Christian life? You see, one of the most damaging things in the church today are people who claim and proclaim Christ, but don't practice Christianity. Because what does the world call us? Hypocrites. Church, we're called to be holy. We're not called to be hypocritical. And what happens to the world as they witness a hypocritical Christian, someone who proclaims Christ but doesn't practice Christianity, they dismiss it. We've got to have authentic testimonies. Because here's what the, what the world sees. They see as going to church. They just don't see as being the church. And I'm going to tell you, there's a big difference between going to church and being the church. First of all, going to church is like on Sunday or maybe Saturday. But being the church is every day. Going to church means just showing up and sitting. But being the church means showing up to serve. And I want to ask you in your life, what kind of conduct do you have? Are you just proclaiming Christ? Or are you practicing Christianity? Are you just going to church? Or are you being the church? You see, the very first thing that identity determines in activity is our conduct, but secondly, our conversation. Paul says here, whether I go and see you or just hear about you. That is conduct and conversation. And what he's saying here is that our walk and our talk have to be the same. They've got to match up. Is there a discrepancy between your lips and your lifestyle? And can I ask you the question, what are you talking about today? What kind of conversations are you having with people? Because for many of us, our our conversations are revolving around the garbage instead of the gospel. We're getting caught up talking about all the problems on our planet instead of God's plan. And I want to ask you, if your identity is a child of God, you're a citizen of heaven, then wouldn't you be talking about the king of your kingdom? 
How many of us are having conversations about Christ today at work, at home, at the grocery store, at the hospital, wherever we find ourselves at any particular moment in life? You see, many of us, we're talking about the weather, we're talking about the world, right? That, that's what dominates our conversation. Can I tell you something? Christ didn't just create the weather and the world, he's in control of it. And so when we talk about the weather and we talk about the world, we're talking around God instead of talking about God. And how many of our conversations today are talking around God instead of talking about God? I had the privilege of going and getting my eyes tested this week as a routine checkup. And I got to tell you, I, I listen to a lot of people in this community complain about this community. Do you realize how absolutely privileged and blessed we are? We got some amazing doctors. We got some amazing teachers in our schools. We, we are really, really blessed. And I was absolutely blown away by the kind of care. And it wasn't just that it was caring. It was beyond professional. I had the privilege while I was there to pray with two people. Because I asked this simple question, what's one thing I can pray for for you? You see, it's not just talking around God. It's talking about God and talking to God. And introducing people to the reality that there is a God that cares about them. Just before the wedding, we had a package show up and everyone was gone. I was at home and the young guy that dropped it off had Colorado plates on his truck was a young 26-year-old African-American kid. And after he drops the package off, I said, hey, I've got kind of a strange question, but we live in Nebraska. We're a little weird out here. We eat like cinnamon rolls and chili together. So strange things are just normal for us. And he kind of smiled and I said, here's a strange question I want to ask you. What's one thing I can pray for for you? And he started to cry. And church, this wasn't your typical man tears where we kind of, oh, I got something in my eye. These were tears that just streamed down his cheeks. And I thought to myself, he might have cancer. This, this is a guy who maybe is just going through a divorce but something is seriously wrong. And when he finally got his composure, he said this, the reason I'm crying is no one has ever prayed for me before. Isn't that amazing? 26 years old, no one's ever talked to him about Jesus. And so as I put my hands on him and I prayed for him, I shared with him that there is a God who loved him so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary for him so that he wouldn't have to die in his sins, but he could become a saint. He could be saved. Are those the conversations that we're having with people? If you knew the cure to cancer, would you remain silent and watch people around you die a horrible death? Church, we know the solution to sin. It is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, dying in your sin, separated from God, is more horrible than dying of cancer. Because you are dying without any cure for your sin. And Jesus Christ is the cure for the curse of this world and the sin of this world. And I wonder, why are we keeping silent today? Why are we coming here and we're so okay talking about salvation here and talking about Jesus and how much we love Jesus and we worship Him for 30 minutes openly 
And then we walk out and we live these silent, quiet, chameleon lives where we just blend in all of our beliefs to the world. It's because we're afraid. It's because we've allowed our identity to be built by what other people say instead of what God says. You're a child of God. You have nothing to fear. You see, our identity doesn't just drive the activity of our conduct and our conversation, but also our conviction. And it says here that we are to fight together for the faith. One of the reasons there is a lack of unity in the church today in the church today is because we are fighting with each other instead of fighting for each other. Now we're in a struggle. Paul makes that absolutely clear, but can I remind you the struggle is against sin, not other saints. And it is time for us to go to war with one another, not to go to war against one another. And I think one of the reasons that we fight with each other instead of fighting for the faith together is because we're basing the fight on our feelings today instead of on faith. Now, when we talk about the faith, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the good news, the Bible. And when you base your fight on the Bible, on the gospel, you're basing it on a firm foundation that will never change. And therefore, it will be a consistent fight. It's not a fight that flip-flops back and forth. It is a fight that is built on the Word of God that never changes. But what happens when we, we base the fight on our feelings? Are we ever going to be unified as a church based on our feelings? See, right now, emotionally, we're all over the board. Some of you in here right now are scared. You're, you're fearful because of your finances. Some of you, you're fearful because of stuff that's going on in your family, your marriage, your kids, your parenting. Some of you are fearful because of what's going on in your life. You know something physically isn't right, and you've gone to the doctor, and they've tested, and they can't figure out what's going on, and you're afraid of what might be going on in you physically. And so you're scared. Some of you are sad. Stuff in your life that's hurting your heart. For some of you, you're glad. There's good things going on. Some of you right now, you're mad. Do you think we're ever going to build unity, that we're ever all going to get to the same place, we're all happy? I don't think it's going to happen, church. And, and you know what's amazing is that if we give it just a little bit of time, like maybe tomorrow or even later today, our feelings are going to flip-flop, and some of you that were sad are going to be glad, and some of you that were glad are going to be mad. You and I need to base the fight on what? Our faith. And whatever defines you is what you will fight for. And that's why some of us were in such a fight over our country today because we've become more defined by our country than we have Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that you and I shouldn't show up and vote. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about things. But church, can I please remind you that government has yet to save a single soul from sin. God's Son is the one who saves people from sin. And we're getting redirected as a church today and I'm just saying this, what if the church was as passionate about Christ as we are about the crisis in our country today? What would that look like? I mean, we talk about it on Facebook all the time and we're getting in all these fights, right? We're fighting for what? Our country. And you should care about your country. 
But it's not your kingdom. Your home's in heaven. And so care about your country. But care more for Jesus Christ and His kingdom and start having those conversations with people. I'm always just wondering to myself, why is the church, the fundamental church, looked at by the world as right-winged? Why are we called right-winged? Why aren't we called righteous? I wonder if it's because the world sees us fighting for a way of life instead of the Lord of life. Now, church, we got problems in our country. But can we put some things into perspective for a moment? Paul was living in Rome. Do you have any idea of the problems, the policies, and the politics of Rome? Christians were put into the arena to face lions. That was his Super Bowl. And yeah, there's problems in our country. But what if Paul had spent all of his time writing to us about politics? He doesn't promote politics. Legislation is not going to change our life. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to encourage you. What is your conviction today? Is it Christ? Or is it just the crisis that you're going through? You see, your identity will determine the activity not only of your conduct, your conversation, your conviction, but your cooperation. It says here we are to stand together, one spirit, one purpose. Now, in the Greek, this is not so much talking about the way that you live as it is the way that you live together. It's talking about Christian community. In other words, it's not just about your individual witness. It is about our corporate witness. What kind of a witness does Mitchell Berean have in this community, in this country? That's a question that we need to be asking ourselves. And I'm going to tell you that nothing is more attractive to the world, nothing is more magnetic than a cause that cares about people. And church, we got the greatest cause. We don't need to change our cause. Our cause is Christ. Our cause is the cross of Christ. Our cause is seeing people go from being slaves to sin to becoming saints. That is our cause. And we cannot lose sight of that cause. But Paul says you got to have that one purpose. And the reason we don't have unity today is we're all divided. And we, we make our cause all kinds of things. Well, I want it to be this style of worship or I want it to be that. I want it to be about how comfortable the chairs are or what time the services start or or the, the, the color of the carpet. And we can have all these different opinions and all of a sudden what happens is we've got 30 different purposes. And it's this shotgun approach. And we wonder why there's not unity. Now it also says here that the only way that we're going to get to that one purpose is one spirit and that means we submit to the spirit of God. So I want to ask you this question. When it comes to your parenting, what spirit are you parenting in? When it comes to your marriage, what spirit are you doing life with the love of your life? When it comes to serving in the church, what spirit are you serving in? Because today, some of us, were serving out of a spirit of anger. And if you're really honest in your marriage, there's a spirit of anger that, that, that overshadows all of the things that you're doing with your partner. For some of you in your parenting, it's a spirit of anger. That's the spirit that you're driving your kids with. 
For some of us, it's a spirit of jealousy. And so instead of caring for people, we're coveting today. For some of us, it's a spirit of bitterness. And we're showing up and we're trying to serve with a spirit of bitterness. For some of us, it's a spirit of lust. But you and I will never have unity. We will never cooperate together if we don't first submit to the Spirit and say, here's our real purpose of why we're here. It's to see people get saved and to see those saved people grow so they can reach other people so those people can get saved. That's why we exist as a church. That means we've got to be selfless. That means it's not about us. And I've said this over and over. If you and I start to make church about the saints and just us being comfortable, who's going to get saved? The church is about people that are saved reaching out and seeing other people saved. That means the church is here for the unsaved and the church is here for saints that want to serve. But the church is not here for saints that want to sit and soak and just be selfish with their lives. And that's why some of us, we get really frustrated. And and I want to ask you, Are you cooperating with other believers for the same purpose, for Christ's purpose, or are you making it about your purpose? You see, our identity determines the activity of our conduct, our conversation, our conviction, our cooperation, and also our confidence. Because Paul says here, we don't cow to the culture. We don't. Church, hold your head up high. Let them call you a bigot. Let them say whatever they want to say on Facebook because you know your true identity. It's not who you are. Let it roll off your back. You and I are all going to face our giants. Paul did. The question is, are we going to be Christians that face it cowering or courageous? And you notice here that he says that we're in this struggle and we're in this struggle together. That's the beauty of a community of Christians. You see, here's the reality. The only way you can be a courageous Christian is to be a connected Christian. Connected to Christ and connected to the church. And I want to illustrate that for you for a moment here. You see, there's this philosophy that's kind of been running around Christian circles for a little while now, and it's this idea that, that it's just me and Jesus. I don't need the body. I can just do life out here on my own. Here's the problem. We're going to come across some pretty tough things in this life. And you know what happens to Christians that are lone range of Christians? We start to put a little pressure on their life, and they break. And I watch Christians around me break all the time. You know why? They're not connected to anything. But what if you really, truly are in a life group? What if this is you right here? And you say, I need that community of Christians, and I'm going to be connected to Christ, and I'm also going to be connected to the church Guess what? You're going to face the same problems and the same pressures as a lone range of Christian. That doesn't change, but you face them together. I could have James come up and do this. You ain't breaking this. Do you realize that there are strength in numbers? Do you want to live that kind of a life, a broken life? 
Or do you want to live this kind of a life? A connected, confident life. Because here's the amazing thing about being connected to the body of believers. We share the pressures that come upon us through prayer. We pray for one another. And we support one another. And we care for one another. And we carry one another. And there's something about it when you're going through the problems of life and you know that you're not alone. That you got brothers and sisters that care about you and they're praying for you. And they're carrying you with their prayers. But I'm going to tell you, that's a lonely life. That broken life. Where you're just trying to do it yourself. And yeah, I'm going to tell you, it's hard sometimes to have to be connected because you got to get over your preferences and your feelings and the way you want to do things and you got to submit to Christ and you got to start to care for other people. But can I remind you, we were not built to do life alone. We were built for relationships to carry and to care for one another within Christian community. You and I are going to face our giants. The question is, are we going to face him with confidence or are we going to cower? I love what David said when he faced Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 45. You come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And the Lord of heaven's armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword or spirit. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. Do you have that kind of confidence as you step into the craziness of this world? Or are we going to be like God's children who were just saved from the slavery of Egypt and we go into the promised land and we see the giants and we cower? And there's absolutely no courage. Why? Because we're focused on the giants instead of the greatness of God. Can I remind you, the greatness of God had just pummeled their enemy, the Egyptians, and parted the Red Sea. Why do we forget the greatness of God? Because we focus on the giants today instead of God. And so what happened? They spent their life wandering around in the desert. God's plan for your life is not for you to eke out some kind of an existence in the desert until you die. His plan is the promised land. His plan is to bless you. But here's the thing. As long as you're going to keep cowering to the fear and not live this courageous Christian life, you're going to experience the desert. And then you're going to die. As Dr. Martin so rightly shared last week, we are all going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's coming. We don't know when. But we know that we're going to be in those valleys where there are shadows and the question becomes, in those difficult and dark times, are we going to focus on the Savior or the shadows? Are we going to be warriors or warriors for God? You see, your identity determines the activity of your conduct, your conversation, your conviction, your cooperation, your courage. And lastly, notice what it says here that you and I are going to have conflict. It's a great way to end unity, isn't it? Can I remind you there's going to be a struggle? But Paul says we're in the struggle together. And as I said before, our struggle is against sin, not against other saints. Paul is reminding the church here that the Christian life is a life of conflict, not of comfort. And I think the reason that many of us are disillusioned as Christians today is because we've bought into the lie that Christianity is all about our comfort. 
Look, when you stepped onto the playing field and you said yes for God, you have an enemy that's going to come after you. But you need to understand that in the midst of this conflict, you can be confident and you can be triumphant. Because Paul here, he doesn't shy away from saying, you know my struggle. Are you willing to be honest with other Christians about what's really going on in your life? Paul didn't pretend like everything's fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. That's what we do a lot, right? He's saying, man, I got people that are critical of me constantly. I got these problems in my life. I got these pains in my life. I got prison. I got persecution. And if he just ended there, it would be like, man, this is really depressing. But then he says this. Church, I want to remind you, we don't just have the privilege of trusting in Christ, but being persecuted for Christ. It is an absolute privilege. Now, how in the world can persecution be a privilege? Because when you're persecuted for Jesus, it identifies you as a follower of Jesus. Do you see what Paul just did? He starts the passage with our identity. He ends the passage with our identity. We never do anything other than out of our identity as children of God. And any activity in your life, that it's not driven by your identity as a Christian, will be futile. We'll never get to unity through activity. And so I want to ask you this question. If you're really, truly honest today, is your identity driving your activity? Or are you trying to create an identity based on your activity? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you speak to us. Thank you for the privilege that we get to go serve our community. But God, I pray that our service to this community would be based on our identity, not our activity. And I pray today that you would continue to bless us. And as we face these these persecutions, that we would remember that it is a privilege. And therefore, that we would be people who live a praise-filled life, not a pouting life. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.